Hi, welcome to Botanical, a podcast about California native plants. And this is your host, Matt Mark here. And I am bringing this episode, hopefully, as a balm, a salve, as something maybe to keep you company if you're stuck home alone under these unprecedented stay home orders. With that, I do hope that you are staying safe and sane and that you are getting some quality time with your loved ones, be it at home or virtually. And I don't know about you, but under this quarantine and being home more and not having to rush off to work, I think I am eating breakfast way more often. And I thought it would be a way to, you know, have some fun with this current moment, look towards some positives by looking at the Romnea cultorae, also known as the fried egg flower. And, you know, honestly, the connection to breakfast really ends there. You really can't eat this plant. However, this plant has a lot of quirky little details about it. It has a rivalry with its cousin, if you will, the California state flower, the poppy, the California poppy, and also is deeply connected to an Irish botanist and an Irish astronomer, and also to a little known, at least for me, wilderness here in California. So let's get to all that after the break. tradition on the show by this point to look at the botanical details to start things off let's let's do that here the romnea cultori is in the paparvaceae family also known as the poppy family which means that it is related to as i mentioned our state flower the california poppy however this one is much larger and at first glance you would not necessarily know that it is related at all to the state poppy because this one, on average, can get to about over 6 feet to 10 feet tall. Um, I've seen it even taller, maybe arching towards 15 feet. Um, can maybe even see it getting bigger than that. Um, and then about 20 feet wide. However, I've seen personal counts of it getting much wider than that, about twice that size at 40 feet wide, and potentially even larger if it's under the right conditions. Because while this plant is difficult to establish, in gardens once it is it is actually very vigorous uh, and very robust because it can reproduce clonally by its rhizomes and its rhizomes actually creep um they kind of just i don't know i kind of see it as like a snake that just kind of slither around like okay what's, what's the next best space that we can pop up um and it's interesting to think when you see this plant and you see it spreading um, what's actually going on there is there's probably a lot of different clones of the original. So it's technically all the same plant because it's self-cloning. So pretty cool. Just strange to think about that. And, you know, I kind of also think of the Redhead song Creep. The main plant, the, the first one, before it starts creeping, uh, 
just singing to itself. It's just like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. And, um, you know, shoots out a rhizome and tries to be somewhere else, but then it's just so close. And then maybe they start talking to each other. And then it's just like a never-ending spiral where all the new clones are just like, man, I don't belong here. I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. But anyway. <laughs> so with that, the, the shrub is, or kind of gave it away, uh, it is slightly woody, and so it's called a perennial herb. Um, however, it is summer deciduous, so it will go dormant. And it flowers in the springtime and then usually early summer. Um, honestly, that's, I feel like that's when I'm most used to seeing them is right around the time spring fades away and summer's coming into view and these flowers just pop up. And to me personally, I never saw them as a fried egg. Um, I saw them more as like, I don't know, they kind of look like satin sheets or something to me. They look like a huge blanket with maybe like a yellow pillow in the center. And maybe that's just my imagination and wanting to, um, my, I would say my dreamy imagination, wanting to just like take a nap in the summer heat. But anyway, let's get a little more into it. Um, that flower that I was just talking about is actually considered the largest flower of any species endemic to California. Um, the only one that comes close is a plant in the hibiscus family. And it actually has an interesting rivalry. Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of inventing this narrative, but so when California as a state was trying to figure out what plant it wanted to have as the state flower, it of course nominated the California poppy, but also the Romnea cultari. However, California poppy just won in a landslide. And I wonder really what, what was the driving force behind that? I mean, my assumptions are based on its relative habitat is pretty much only found in certain areas of Southern California closer to like San Diego and LA, um, Anaheim, these plants usually like really rough conditions too. Honestly, they like being in like kind of bad soil, um, or sandy soil, very low water. Um, they're kind of just like these stalwarts of, um, California deserts or near deserts. Um, however, with that said, they do do pretty well in, um, chaparral and even coastal sage scrub plant communities. Um, but these are usually in um, dry canyon-like areas. And then, interestingly enough, they do seem to pop up and prefer areas that have recently burned. So this is another point of connection where uh, we can see how fire has actually really shaped a lot of these California natives and how a lot of these plants have specific responses to deal with, with blazes. So let's go a little bit more into it. The leaves are gray green and and then also lanceolate which just means i mean i, I just like to think it look like lances um it'd be kind of funny to have like a jousting match <laughs> with leaves from the romnea cotara even the poppy leaf because i personally think the leaves are similar enough that if you do take a look at each plant you can see that they are related um romnea cotara is just much bigger and the leaves are more gray i would say i don't know if you've ever touched a poppy flower but poppy to me just feels so it's like the, such a lush petal um maybe like silk or something and romnea cultari is a little bit more papery um almost feels like a paper mache or something like that it's pretty thin and is very rumpled and crinkled inside the part that looks like a yolk is actually um a collection of stamens and stamens if you don't remember 
are the fertilizing organ, the male fertilizing organ of a flower. Um, and usually these are filaments filled with pollen. Um, or sorry, it's an anther with a filament that usually contains pollen. And you're wondering what the anther is. That's just part of the stamen that contains pollen. So there, you, so yeah, there we go. Now let's start talking about that name, which I think may be best described as arcane, because when I see this name, like what what, what does this mean? And it's surprising me that this is our most common term for it. This is what, at least what I've seen. Actually, I have never really heard Friday flower until recently. Although I think it's pretty charming, and I wish everybody called it that. Um, but Coulter's Matilia poppy, and I hope I'm saying that properly. That middle part there, the Matilia. Um, let's break that down one word at a time. So let's start with Coulter's. So Coulter was an Irish botanist. His name was Thomas Coulter, and he traveled in Mexico in the early 1830s, and he even ventured into an area called Alta California. Uh, now, Alta California was part of New Spain, and Alta just means upper, so it essentially just means upper California. And that roughly encompassed the modern territories of, or states of California, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, and then parts of Colorado, Wyoming, and then even New Mexico. And then I, I just talk about this a little bit, because I think this is interesting. So Spain had divided Alta California thusly in four parts there presidios um which we can see in san diego monterey san francisco and santa barbara and there are also missions pueblos and then four military districts and this was ended by the mexican-american war specifically by the treaty of guadalupe hidalgo so i just think that was interesting a little bit of history about um specifically southern california area and also kind of gives a historical pinpoint on when thomas coulter was in what is now California, looking at these plants. Though I actually was not able to discover too much about him. I did find some of his journals, um, or people commentating on his journals, and however I was able to find time and time again that it's one of the few that are absolutely confirmed that he described, um, at least firstly in botanical terms. But there were some interesting details of him going through this rough country early i mean i can't say 49ers because it's too early but this early mining culture that was building here in california and just it just seemed like it was pretty rough on him and as such he actually when he returned to ireland he went back to trinity college in dublin he just seemed he he complained about being tired um being kind of worn out and he spent actually the rest of his life um working on the herbarium there um which also kind of had a little rocky start, but I think to this day it's still one of the most um, robust collections of both indigenous and exotic plants in Europe. So just a surprising detail um, that this person's history is kind of attached to this common name, and it seems like this one of his biggest impacts lasting, at least in botany, is both the herbarium and then also giving his name to a lot of these plants. Because if we go back to the scientific name Romnea coltori, coltori just refers to him, and then interestingly, to keep on this, Romnea actually comes from a fellow Irishman, um, this time from an Irish astronomer, and I'm not exactly sure what the connection was, um, but his name was Thomas Romney Robinson, um, and not much to say on him other than that he's most well known as the inventor of the four-cup anemometer, which essentially just allows you to measure wind speed or any other current that's occurring in 
the atmosphere, such as gas or something like that. And you know, with the connection to this astronomer, it makes me think of that that Walt Whitman poem, uh, The Learned Astronomer, essentially where Walt Whitman just discounts astronomy as, in my reading, essentially pointless because in my reading, uh, we can just go out and look at the stars and have potentially more meaningful experience. So I guess you could say the same of this. Of this. So maybe I'm, I'm, I'm the, the, the learned botanist, although by no means. And maybe you would far more enjoy it if you just went out and stood in the silence of the fried egg flower, um, which I hope, you know, you do when times are safe. So um, we got island all over this plant for some reason. Let's go to that second word, matilia. And this refers to the wilderness that is in kind of like the Ventura Santa Barbara counties. And it was created, actually, largely to protect the California condor in 1992. What was interesting to me is that the name for the wilderness actually comes from a Native American tribe, the Chumash tribe, uh, which had a village there, um, which was, from what I found, was known to be something close to Matilia. So this is kind of similar, in my opinion, to Toyon, where we have this Native American word passed down to us through the approximation of Spanish, and then just entering into English. Interestingly enough, the route that the village was on was actually used by miners. It was also a mail route for inland and coastal parts of Ventura County um, before the construction of Highway 33. So there's a lot of intersections here that's kind of captured in this name because we have this intersection of this global botanist coming in and looking really fascinated about plants over here in Mexico and then at the time Alta California. And then, strangely enough, this influence of uh, Irish astronomer, which to me can only seem as a gesture of Irish intellectual lineage. And then, of course, Antilia, which is region-specific, we're talking about the space, and in that we also get, you know, um, signals to Alta California history, but also pre-Alta California history with the fact that the name is referring to a tribe's village in an area that was used by miners, and then later as a postal route, then now as a term for a modern wilderness, which is connected to mainly preserving the California condor. It's just really strange, really fascinating. And um, yeah, I guess time and time again, I guess I've talked about this a lot, but there's actually a lot you can learn um, from just a plant's name. There's so much historical and botanical, essentially data that's just kind of trapped in there that you can unpack. Um, and then, of course, last part, poppy, we don't really need to talk about it, just tells you that it's in essentially it's in the poppy family. Um, and then similarly, I guess I should mention at this point, there's another name for it that's relatively common, which is the California tree poppy. And that's just referring to, as we were talking about, that it's, it's really sizable. And there's not too much information out there that at least I could find, um, especially in this current moment where I really can't go to the library. But I haven't found too much about this plant's usage throughout time principally by Native Americans, and I could only find one thing, and that was that it was used as a beverage, like liquid from this, the stock was, would it be turned into a beverage, but nothing significant there. However, I don't consider that a closed case. I just don't really have too much points of attack, I guess, for trying to find more information out about this right now. So there we have it, a very brief look at Ramnea cultori. Kind of unusual plant, in my opinion, when you look at it from a historical perspective. Um, and even honestly, kind of as just as a native, it's a plant that is, I would say, largely defined, but pretty strict um, 
boundaries where it's found in the wild. And yet, if you can get it established, it's one of the most vigorous natives I can think of, um, except for maybe like Toyon. I don't keep thinking about it or keep saying that, but it's Spine has even been found to do well. Um, in in the UK, there, I think there's even a special cultivar of it that has been simply designed um, to do a little bit better in that climate. But even this variety seems to do pretty well there. And it's a, a plant that's prized um, by a lot of horticulturalists. So kind of an unusual native in that regard because it's a plant that's used both in native gardening and also kind of as, a, as an exotic, which is also kind of referenced in the fact of its naming, Cultures Matilia poppy, which has this kind of like globe trotting all over the place name, um, and also with different histories. I feel like I'm kind of rambling here, so I'll stop. But thank you for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And again, I hope to release episode a week, um, at least for the next three episodes going forward. And I would really welcome your feedback on that. If you like these more kind of open-ended, looser investigations, into these plants, me kind of just talking about it from the research I've done, are if you would prefer me to go back to the more scripted, more outlined, and more research-heavy episodes like the Joshua Tree or even the um, Alio. So with that, I hope you have a good week, and I'll see you next time.